we do not have any more handouts. This should be the last one uh, for this week. So we'll have a huge stack for for next time. You can each have a couple copies and share them with your friends. So um, we've been talking about you know how to study the Bible, kind of like the what is the the hermeneutical process is one of the, the terms that we talked about. So kind of the way that we framed it was the, the group Bible study, right? You're in the context of a group Bible study. You read a verse, um, and oftentimes it's more of a verse than a passage where you read the different, different interpretations. You remember we had Fred, Nancy, Percy, and Wendy, and they were reading the, pas- the uh, verse, John 10, 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. So you can flip back if you want. But what was, there was like four different interpretations. Remember what some of them were? What does this, what does this mean? I am the door if anyone enters through me. There's Fred, Nancy, Percy, Wendy. You can look back or think. What, did, what were their different takes on it? This hypothetical. One was Jesus is a literal. He is a literal wooden door. That was uh, poor Nancy, right? But she had, that was her interpretation, right? He says he's a door, he must be a door. And then there's a couple, couple more. What was some other takes? It was a door of hope. Door of hope, right? It's symbolic of something, right? And he, Fred made the connection that he's invited us to graze in his pasture. So he does talk about pasture in the verse. Uh, and feast on his body every time we take the Eucharist. And so there's like, then, okay, where did that come from? So he's making a connection from what he sees in the text on the outside. Fred's most likely Catholic here, referencing the Eucharist. And then we have Percy and Wendy, so what were their, their takes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, he seems to be right uh, viewing right. This has to be viewed in context of the Old Testament. This is that's the whole key is understanding. That's what he means coming through the door of Jesus is to understand. And then Wendy is probably our most. She says perhaps uh, he's saying that he's the only way to be saved, and there's no other entry into God's kingdom apart from him. So if you were, right, let's say you're there, right, what might be some good initial advice to give to Fred or Nancy or Percy in terms of, well, how do we determine which one of these might be correct? Think through some of the things that we've referenced maybe in the, the last couple of Sundays. Like, how do we make a judgment between some of these? What are some good places to start? Let's turn. Let's go to John 10. I thought this would just be a good exercise. Let's go to that passage. John chapter 10. Verse 9. So, I have the ESV and... I'm going to read it, and, you, and if you guys have a handout, see if you notice if there's any different words. So, in the ESV, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Any differences? 
see any differences? Enters through me. Enters through me. Okay. Anybody? Do they have anything else? A different version? Amplified? Yes. What do you have? Uh, therefore, they said to him, oh, sorry. John? Yeah. Chapter 9. Or chapter 10, verse 9. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out. And find pasture. Okay, very close. So, by me, through me. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different things. So, they're trying to figure out what this verse means, right? And they have these different interpretations. So, think, think about, like, if you're in a Bible study, a lot of you guys um, are possibly in Bible studies right now. Where, where's a good place to start when you're, you have these different interpretations of what you think it means? The context, right? The context. Okay, so um, what? How? if you're going to say, well, let's look at the context, how much context would be a good place to start? What do you think? Should we just take a minute and read the whole book? Sure, right? <laughs> sure. Um, but it, it is a good... It, one thing I'll mention is that oftentimes when, um, when people are trying to um, understand a text or a verse, if you're going to say preach on it or teach on it, sometimes they'll just read that passage or read that book every day for a week or a month and try and just observe it, absorb it, soak it in. But you're in the Bible study, so maybe maybe the chapter, maybe the paragraph. So let's back up and maybe read, um, where does it seem like this idea starts? Do you guys have a break at like verse 7? Right? And... It goes quite a ways to verse 18, maybe, right? And this verse, verse verse 9, kind of comes in the middle of that, okay? Anybody want to read there? We're going to go from 7 to 18. We're in John chapter 10. Go for it, Judy. So Jesus said, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There is again a division among the Jews because of these words. Yeah. 
Okay, so we see it, it's pretty full, right? There's quite a, quite a bit in the verses. And so think about the comments that they made, right? You got Fred, Nancy, Percy, and Wendy. He's a physical door. Um, he's the door of hope, inviting us to graze in his pasture when we take of the Eucharist. Um, he's, this is really, he's talking about a key to understanding the Old Testament. He says specifically Isaiah. It's about understanding Isaiah. And then Wendy comments, perhaps he's saying that he's the only way to be saved. There's no other entry into God's kingdom apart from him. So when you look at the text here, do we see any comments or mentions about, you know, I'm a wooden door, I have hinges, I have a, right? There's a lot, there's a lot in the, that's not there. What else is missing that's not there that maybe we don't see from one of the other interpretations? Talk about the Eucharist. It doesn't seem to be mentioning anything about the Eucharist or, or communion or the Lord's Supper. What about um, Isaiah? Or does he seem to be quoting or referencing any Old Testament scriptures here? You see that anywhere? No. Not really, right? So do you guys remember there was a term that meant um, like drawing out of the text or like putting something into the text? Do you remember those? Exegetical and eisegetical. Yeah, right. So we'll, which is the one we want to do? Exegetical. Exegetical, right? So we want to go to the text and like right, clear everything out of the way and just draw out what's in the text. And we want to avoid taking like our own whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're biased about, our own culture, our own time, our own language, our own situation, and just put that on the text. So, for example, if you've ever, um, sometimes there are pastors that every text is an illustration of the same principle, and so somehow they like bring it into every passage. It always has to do with this same thing. It always has some, some connection to that same thing. And so sometimes we want to let, let the text kind of speak for itself. Okay. So that kind of brings us to, like, the context was one of those things that helps us understand the meaning of the text. So if you have your uh, handout, let's look real quick at some of the other things. So we went through the techniques, the different false ways. So starting on um, probably the end of page 6 into page 7. Principles of nor the normal hermeneutic, right, or the text. Historical, grammatical. So we have interpret grammatically, right? Interpret contextually. Compare scripture with scripture, right? Recognize the, pro the progress of revelation. So those were kind of some main points that we talked about. Um, we saw a little bit just at the end. Um, what do we see in terms of, can anyone spot like, how do we know who he's talking to? So this is a contextual clue. Look in your look in chapter ten. Where do you see anywhere where it says in that verse or before or after? Um, who is he talking to? I think I found it in nine forty. Okay. Pharisees near him. So that was something I was thinking on as we were talking about that. Establishing is this metaphorical where my mind was thinking, where is Jesus as he's speaking these things? Mm -hmm. Who is he engaging with? With what was the trigger for what he's saying? Because mm -hmm. that'll kind of give the mm -hmm. couple of, you know, what style of language is he speaking in? Mm -hmm. Is he addressing somebody? Is he casually talking? What, what's the. And so it looks like after healing the blind man and him being cast out, the Pharisees overhear Jesus and the blind man speaking, and they regard him, and that's where he goes into that. 
So we know that the Pharisees were there. Is there any other hints or clues? Is there anybody else that we think is there? That was afterward, right? So if you guys look again, there was a vision among the Jews. So we see that Pharisees is used. We see that right? Jews is used. And also when we think about like where we're getting these words of Jesus, who we're getting these words of Jesus from. What was that? The Father. Hmm? And I mean like who wrote the so that's right. Yeah, it's kind of like there's two right answers, right? So I was, I, was, I was thinking about John as the author. Okay. And sometimes, right, I don't know if you guys have, have thought about the Gospels in, in this way, but um, do you guys know, is there a parallel to this in any of the other three Gospels? Take a minute. Think about it. Look if you want. So if there's many things, for example, you know, the crucifixion, the resurrection that are accounted for by the accounts of Mark, Matthew, John, Luke. So is this something that we see um, this description, this story, this account in any of the other ones? Take, take a guess. Yeah, no, right? So we're going to go with no unless somebody can... We're going to go with no unless somebody can, you know, bring up the evidence, right? So John's a little bit... Um, John's a little bit of a challenge sometimes because the Gospel of John is more distinct in comparison to the other three than, say, uh, Matthew and Mark are to one another. Okay, and so sometimes uh, you can study a passage by saying, "Well, how did Matthew record it versus how did Mark record it?" And you get additional details: who was there, what happened, who said what. Um, but when you have a single account, right, then it affects, right. And so there's there's many passages in John that are unique among the other that don't that aren't included for one reason or another. So um, when that happens. Um, We've got point C there, compare scripture with scripture, okay? And under that, we see that it says, for instance, Romans is better suited to help us understand Ephesians than James. Do you remember why? Why is Romans um, better to help us understand Ephesians than James would be? Same author, right? Same author. So understanding Gospel of John and understanding what he's saying, why he's saying it that way, um, is that if you want to look at other ways that John wrote, you could look outside of the chapter. So kind of looking at other things. So this was in, this account was in chapter 10, right? So as we move our context outward, right, we could read not just chapter 10, but what else? Or could we get, huh? Yeah, we could, we could read before or after. Or... And so you can expand that circle of context. So we could look at that verse, then we looked at that account. We could look at the whole book of John and sometimes see um, themes there. And then we could look at maybe 1 John, 2 John, 3. We could look at other accounts. And just because John wrote it doesn't mean we can't then move to the other Gospels, right? The other Gospels, we could look at the Old Testament to look if there's any other. 
any other guides to this. Okay, and what just for out of uh, curiosity, what how did they respond? So he's the Pharisees and the Jews. How did they receive the teaching? Did they be like, okay, I got it? Is that how they responded? There was division. They said, one of them said what? He has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? Right? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right? So they're questioning, like, that doesn't seem, this doesn't seem like a person. Uh, right? So John's recording this, but the reception at the time, there was many who just no, I, I don't. This doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Okay, so let's let kind of use that as kind of a reminder of how we go through this. Let's look at thought questions. So we're on kind of towards um, that last page, page eight here. So think about the kind of that little short exercise we went through. We're trying to understand what does it mean. We're going through that process. We're looking at who the author was, what Jesus said, his context. Here's some objections, so you could think about it just in general. How would you answer this passage for someone says, well, let's say that one of those four people at the front, like, it, it's the key to understanding the Old Testament, and you say, well, I think it's about how Jesus is the only way to be saved. Scholars and theologians disagree on the meaning of this passage, so my view is just as valid as yours. Okay, What do you think? Is there any truth to that? How would you maybe... What would you say? Where would you go in that conversation? Yeah. Um, it just are we the authority to determine? You know, at, rather than it just seems like we're trying to use ourselves as our reasoning, de defaulting towards our reasoning or your reasoning. My mm -hmm. reasoning could be just as good as yours, mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to logically follow what Scripture is saying about Scripture. Okay. So trying to use conform it to what scripture's already said rather than trying mm -hmm. to as mm -hmm. best as possible say you versus me in terms of truth. Yeah. And so instead of comparing the way you're and and I our conclusions looking at what the scriptures right. say about it. Okay. What else? Could be any passage and maybe there is a disagreement and they say, Well, this church believes this or right. Where would you go in terms of like pointing to where to or how to arrive at the correct interpretation? I mean, is there other things you'd say? You might want to take a look at where the scholars are coming from. Okay. Um, yes. Because they may they may be making a wrong interpretation and putting their own ideas on what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so, understanding, you might ask, well, which, which scholars are you referring to? Because, uh, like we talked about before, they might be consistently applying a, just a different method of interpreting the scriptures. And that's leading them to a different, different conclusion. That's true. What else could you say? Scholars disagree on the meaning of this, so I'm just as valid as yours. It's not, I mean, it comes down to it, it's not my opinion. Mm -hmm. is, there's absolute truth. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not just what I think, or it's not just based on my opinion, it's what the scriptures say. Mm -hmm. You can't look at a scripture and say, well, 
I'm going to twist it just this little bit, mm -hmm. but context is context. Mm -hmm. So look at that and you say, this is what the scripture says. Look at the scriptures before it, scriptures after it. And this is the logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. Don't overcomplicate it by mm -hmm. trying to add these things or make these little twists. Just take the face value for what it says. Mm -hmm. Nine yeah. times out of ten, the face value is, is what it says and what it means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes there's an overcomplication and could be driven by a desire for it to mean something else. That's true. Uh, a couple other things I'd point out is that when they say they disagree, um, when you think about your interpretation, um, this is kind of a, there's a that can mean a lot of things, right? That can, that can be, um, you might follow up with, you know, if they disagree on the interpretation, well, what, what do they agree on? So sometimes the, the scholars differ on like one minute point, but they agree on 95% of what's being said here. We agree on this, we agree on this, we agree on this. So sometimes this can be a smokescreen in a sense, where I've, I've had some conversations with people who are critical and they say there's hundreds of different scholars and then none of them agree, right? That's kind of the, the thing that I've heard. None of them agree. And what they're, what they're drawing out is the fact that none of them have 100% identical interpretation of every single verse in the Bible. And they say that means none of them agree. But what they're neglecting to mention is that maybe they do agree on 95%. 98 percent 99 it's kind of like what we talked about with when we talked about where we got the bible there might be differences in spelling of a couple of words in some texts so what do they when they say everyone they disagree well they might ask well which scholars are you talking about and what what is the actual point at which they disagree because it may be that the interpretation that we're talking about the scholars actually do agree on that part but maybe there's some slight part as well and then the I think just as valid is a key thing to be careful of is um, that idea of just as valid. Right? To remember that um, none of us are ever going to be at this point over here where we know we're 100% right on every nuance of every verse. Right? We're always studying it. Um, but we can always kind of move towards that direction and say, I might have two different interpretations and the rules of scriptural interpretation might help me reject this one and say, although this one's not perfect, it's more valid than maybe a, a, a different one, right? This one's consistent with everything that's said in the context. Every, the, the people that reacted in the context, the way they interpreted it, and so on and so forth. Whereas this interpretation may be it's drawing out things that not, aren't in the text. The original hearers didn't interpret it that way. There's no sign that any of the other gospel authors wrote or recorded any of that kind of position. And so you have kind of that eisegesis, like where is this interpretation coming from? Is it kind of just dropping in there out of nowhere? Whereas other interpretations might have. And then just sometimes it's okay to say, I'm okay with rejecting this interpretation if you can give something that's more that's better right so you have this idea that we're always looking for the best interpretation and really good bible study happens when you are willing to reject this if right 
you can get something that's more consistent with the scriptures. That is, uh, you're reaching it through the context. And that's happened to me a lot over the last 10, 15, 20 years. As I'm in the Bible, I'm like, it actually does, right? It actually does say that. And I'm, you're like, why did I, why did I believe this? Right? Sometimes you go back and, well, this other verse, and you go and look at that other verse, well, I guess it doesn't actually really say that. Okay? So that's kind of one of those things where if you're going to have, and this is really good if you're having a discussion between two people who genuinely want to do what the scriptures say, because it points you back to the text. Okay? Are you speaking mainly of like tertiary topics? Well, um, so you're saying like not foundational right 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 I think that what what so like when you say let's take a central topic the gospel mm-hmm. right that's clear when I um, it can also be when I say best it can also mean um, the fullest so you can, I think you can be in a place where you understand it truthfully. I knew that Jesus died in my place to forgive me of my sins. And so I had a right interpretation. But I didn't understand um, in the sense of like how his righteousness was imputed to me. Or I didn't understand um, why his momentary death atoned for my infinite punishment that I deserved. And so there's kind of aspects of that that I didn't quite get, and as I studied it more, it wasn't that I was necessarily rejecting, but I was getting a fuller, deeper understanding of that. So I think that there are some ways, in, in a sense, where you can go from here to here, where this is just becoming a deeper and a richer truth, not necessarily that you're rejecting that I was wrong. Because I think you can get in a place where, you don't want to get in a place where you're saying, well, that's what the gospel is now, but maybe if I study it later, that's not really what the gospel means. Is that kind of what you're... Yeah, I, that's part of what I'm asking. I guess, too, like, if you read commentaries or study the Bible or, like, even, like, on Friday morning Bible studies, like, there's... They usually have pretty good reasons why they interpret something about a, a scripture passage. And mm-hmm. so, <clears throat> just, like, determining, like, obviously there's steps you take, but, like, even men in our Bible study, there's been some... Well, I just... I don't think it says that, and, mm-hmm. because, and they have you know verses to back it up, mm-hmm. and good context to back it up, and so uh, it's almost like a there's an agree to disagree in some mm-hmm. scenarios that I think I don't know can be healthy for believers too, or like mm-hmm. we can help each other grow. Um, not like obviously not rejecting it, but mm-hmm. okay, you may believe a more fuller version, but I just I haven't seen that in scripture yet. Right, and I think that um, we were talking that we. When we have those disagreements, it's like, what does this, sometimes the scripture allows for those differences because it doesn't make a point to truly emphasize um, the difference between your position and my position if we have kind of a differing differing take on it. So yeah, there are points at which um, I was reading today, um, even uh, this was in, in Deuteronomy, and he's talking about the blessings and the curses and what the Lord would do in the, in the, in the future. So that's the context. And he's giving them all these specific things that's going to happen to them. And he says, 
the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So they're saying, there's a lot that we don't know that's going to happen, but God has revealed some very specific things, and those things belong to us. And so there's a sense in which God clearly says, there's a lot of things that you, you just won't know for sure. Um, but yeah, one of the things I think is great about that, op- that opportunity, if you have a brother or sister, you're in Bible study together and you have differing opinions, the respect of knowing that person is genuinely seeking to know what the Lord means and knowing that they have a different view, it helps you have a tr- better humility when you study the Word and it helps you dig deeper. Like I want to know and understand why they are convinced of that position. And sometimes I go through and I... Um, so like one thing that like I've talked with John Wernley and Dave Hintz and other elders is like what was the role and exactly what the Holy Spirit did in the lives of believers before Christ, before Pentecost, right? And so there's a lot of things that are like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree there, but no, I don't know if I would say that. And we have kind of a debate about like what, it, what he did, how he did it. Um, but the great thing is that it's, it doesn't interfere with believing the central truths of, of Scripture. But it always pushes us to try, try and understand God better. I think, too, as you study the Word, like it's good to bounce your beliefs off other believers. Because you can get to the point where you just keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper and cross-referencing and cross-referencing. Mm-hmm. And because that this number here means this number over here. It just... Silly things at some point. Sometimes yeah. you say, no, it doesn't mean that. So it's good to surround yourself with believers too when you're studying the Word. Mm-hmm. And it's good to good to read, um, you know, differing books and commentaries to get those ideas because um, there's a certain sense in which, um, you know, if you're only reading something that confirms everything that you already believe, you're not really questioning why why is why do I believe this is what Scripture says. So to get a little bit of a diversity in there can help spur you on to study like oh maybe that's so like if you guys ever um look at like a, a systematic theology book so there's a we have some in our resources um we have uh, macarthur and mayhew did one called biblical doctrine and um, then wayne grudem has one just called systematic theology and it, you know it's it kind of can be intimidating to just buy the and start at page one but like having that as a resource, like what does it say? What does the Bible say about this? And you kind of look it up, and they'll um, they'll kind of trace through like you're saying. These are the reasons. This is how I come to this conclusion. And um, one thing that um, I think the Grudem one, one thing he does is he, he often will present the top three, the top four views. If there's differing views, this is how they come to this. This is why. And then often we'll say. I land on this one because I feel like this evidence is a bit stronger than that conclusion. And if I mean this, then that has this implication. So it's a lot of a lot of time, a lot of study. Things like end times and the work of the church and the roles. Okay, uh, we've talked right. How would you respond? Like in the, you're in the Bible study and they say, well, maybe you differ, disagree, and they say, well, this is what it means to me. Where would you go with that? What's a good way to engage with someone that says, well, this is what this is what it means to me? Yes. I 
actually take kind of a confrontational approach, but in a loving way. I loving would, confrontation? Yes, 100%. But I'd ask them, is, is it commanded of us in the Bible to insert our, or assert our feelings as to what the text means to validate its truth? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. something that yeah. you're, you're like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. what, what are you really saying? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, that... That's kind of a bold statement to make about mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. it, valid, it, it, it definitely requires a, a, a very well thought out answer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Questioning as to, you know, why, why is it, why are you saying that? Proverbs 3 5. Which says, yeah. Yep. Any other ways? Do you guys run into that sometimes? That's what the Bible means to me. I run into that in a sense that uh, it's like the the it's like a starting point. You know, this is what it says, but then God uses it to give me some specific guidance about you know, kind of apply it to something specific. Yeah. Right. So that that comment could also come because, like, a defensiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is what it means to me. You know, like right. Nope, we're not going to change. Down, right? Yeah. Which is harder than, you know, doing those instances. Right. It's like that, that's more where we go back to something you, Dave were talking about there. It's like, where, where is that comment coming mm-hmm. from? Let's, let's dig deep into the comment yeah. first before, you know, maybe trying to. <laughs> throw new scriptures to help them understand it doesn't really matter you know like let's find out where that comment's coming from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like Easter just reveals like where the Bible is in authority of their lives mm-hmm. and so yeah. if they say this is what the Bible means to me they're putting themselves over the word mm-hmm. yeah. and so instead of being like this is what the Bible means so this is what I believe mm-hmm. and so I think just even in that language it reveals a lot of their heart yeah I just think they're, uh, you know, if I'm going to be devil's advocate just a little bit. Do it. So the uh, the only thing that, you know, they may know a lot of the scripture that I think, you know, you do have to prod that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just to say, okay, so, you know, why do you believe? Do they have some concrete reasons mm-hmm. that support that opinion, let's mm-hmm. say, but they still recognize it as an opinion mm-hmm. just because they don't sense that they have a full understanding of what that topic should be about mm-hmm. and so it could be out of humility it could be out of decidedness not to depend on objective realities mm-hmm. that God has allowed and given us um, so I don't know yeah. you know if that's if that's what they're leaning on because right. if they are if they are leaning on their own interpretation kind of borderline mysticism direction mm-hmm. you know in terms of like well that's to me and that's going to be a source of truth as opposed to, I don't, I'm not exactly sure I have a full understanding of all the concrete stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it opens the door for discussion yeah. more than a, um, an assertion of fact. Yeah. So. I think people also approach the Bible more like, unbelievers especially, more like just like classical literature mm-hmm. and try to read 
things and put the art there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like an author will say, the curtains are blue. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Right. Sometimes it just means the curtains are blue. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so I think there's tends to be more of that kind of secular approach to the Bible as well, that there mm -hmm. are different interpretations of mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. And that there can be more than one. Yeah, there's a tr yeah that brings up you know we talked about a little bit with the whole postmodern like it could mean a lot of different things so you'd have to maybe do some probing the person might think I can have a different interpretation you can have a different interpretation and they can both be true at the same time right which is kind of that postmodern problem um, or it might be that they believe there's one right interpretation but what the one you're sharing kind of threatens their current one right or maybe we're not really sure they have some scriptures that are pointing them in a certain direction. So a lot of probing, right? Um, other good questions would be, um, if that's what it means to you, is that what it meant to the original audience? Does it have the same meaning to them? Is that what the original author intended when they wrote those words down? Like, does God take the original meaning and then change it over time to specifically tailor it to you? That's kind of a follow-up question to try and think through. How do you interpret Scripture um, and the idea between a diff, you know, one interpretation and many applications versus many different interpretations. So there's, there's, we're going to get to that idea that we're open to discussing what it means, but we want to agree that it means something unique, distinct. And once we determine what that meaning is, then we can determine how to apply that, that truth. Okay, objection C. We made it through a couple. How would you respond... I can't know what the Bible means unless I have a thorough knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. I mean, okay, that's good, right? Well, they were written in Greek and Hebrew, and we're reading the translation, so how would you respond? I can mean, know a little bit about Scripture to know that it was written in Greek and Hebrew originally. Okay. Yeah, so they know a little bit. I think it relates a lot to that illustration you had where you might, you can still understand it. If mm -hmm. you do know Greek and Hebrew, you might be able to understand it more you know, to the fullest, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't understand it at all. Yeah, okay. Spoken from one parent to another parent. Like, I, my kids, when they're very little, they can understand directives at a certain level and they can be obedient and we can have they can have a loving relationship and as they grow right their understanding to what I'm saying and why I'm saying it it, it deepens and it grows but it doesn't mean that you know at five and eight and ten it doesn't mean that they can't understand me right so at every level there's a certain amount of understanding that I can have you know as a very newborn infant baby spiritual baby when you're saved you can understand scripture right away. The Holy Spirit is there teaching you, explaining it to you. Do you guys ever have, a, you know, on a daily basis, do you have uh, conversations with people where maybe English isn't their first language? Or ever have those, right? You can often understand one another, right? They're speaking a different language, right? Or you're interpreting, right, from a different language. And so it's kind of that gift we go back to God created language and... He gave us the ability to understand language. So. And acknowledging, like you said, right at the end, the Spirit is there helping even you know, little, little ones to understand the scriptures, acknowledging that 
weeks ago even, there have been little nuances or mistakes in the translation from Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, God is still, it's still God's word, right? And mm-hmm. so he's, he's going to help you get the proper meaning, yeah. whether there have been little human mistakes or not. Yeah, yeah. I think, too, like, most of the time this has probably just been an excuse because especially we live in a world that is so rich with resources mm-hmm. like that are so accessible at our mm-hmm. fingertips and more often free than not that like you you can like click of a button see what it meant in Greek and Hebrew yeah. I mean you know just as like yeah. we can learn Spanish right. on our phones right? yeah. like it's it's more of an like maybe you know pre-technology this would be more of a valid mm-hmm. but now I feel like it yeah, and I, I see this some too, right? Is that when the meaning is clear right, and understandable, it carries with it, I think somebody said this, right? It carries with it authority. And you have to, like, if it's clear what the scriptures say, Jesus said this, you, they have to say, well, I'm willingly rejecting or accepting that. And I take that, right? And if that goes against something that I want to do or don't want to do, I want to be able to tell myself I can still do what I want, but I don't want to face this inner rejection, right? And so if it's, if it's fuzzy, right? If it's cloudy, what that means, well then, kind of you lose the authority. Like, well, I would, I would do what God says, but I don't really know. It's not really clear. And that's, that, I, I do see that a lot, I think, in the, in the secular criticism. Instead of having a spectrum, they want, it's either absolute certainty, and if it's not, then it loses all meaning and authority. Well, you can't, that can't, you can't say that's true for me, because you're not really sure what it means. So that's kind of a... And I think it, we, we can do that trick in, with our own when we rationalize a behavior. Well, the scripture doesn't really say. I've seen um, numerous individuals that I've, were believers at a time, and then they have an affair, or they become um, they start to have uh, same-sex attraction, and their, inter- their hermeneutic starts to change. They want the scriptures to now be fuzzy where it was clear in the past. That allows them to continue to... And so we kind of can't negate. Sometimes there's all different things. There's morality and sin that's involved as well. Okay, here's one. We kind of alluded to this a little bit. Can non-Christians teach us anything about the Bible? Can their studies help us make sense of the text? What do you think? Accidentally, I will say this. <laughs> okay. Going through a political philosophy course, uh-huh. and in Hobbes, they use they use an outsider viewpoint on what the Christian doctrines use for the word faith, mm-hmm. and they he described it pretty well in terms of faith meaning something that you're leaning upon as opposed to the validity of, but you don't have any stake in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just in the one-off example, I was like, hmm, even an outsider recognized exactly what it really meant, you know. And maybe if I 
you know, I've grown up in conservative background, but mm-hmm. it's very clear to him as far as that little piece. It was mm-hmm. accidental, but yeah. to me it made a big deal, but um, I wouldn't say probably read that book in order to understand. Right, <laughs> right. Because I think that people still do a good job inside the church just using analogy mm-hmm. to bring mm-hmm. up the same point, but that was one case where yeah. it kind of made an impact. Is like, hmm, you know, it's not everyone can understand what it means. It's not that okay, they haven't had all the coaching or all mm-hmm. the instruction. It's like mm-hmm. there's still something that's very clear about what it is. Yeah. So I like it on ministries now where archaeologists accidentally confirm something that was already stated in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That can be uh, I don't know, reaffirming of faith and yeah, I think Ken Ham used to talk about that, how um, he's the answers in Genesis guy, how either one, believer or non-believer, can make discoveries, right? And then each one, based on their worldview, then fills in the interpretation of what that means, right? So you find evidence that affirms something that's mentioned in the New Testament, and then, you know, the, the unbeliever's like, well, it's true, but it doesn't verify, right? There's, they each apply their own interpretation. So a lot of times that happens with prophecy, um, Something is, is prophesied in the Old Testament, say in Daniel, and then we look at history and it took place. Well, right, then the, the worldview takes over. The believer, right, it's a, it's a testament to the veracity of the divine nature of Scripture. The non-believer, that confirms that this was actually written much later because they knew about this. And that's the only way they could have known about it is if it was written after the event happened. And so the viewpoint that's brought in can often, you know, but like you... You mentioned uh, like archaeology, language. There's some areas where we just need to be careful that like where are they going and are they making some sort of application interpretation, right? So uh, when you look at the text below, this kind of point point E, this question in this text kind of addressed that question a little bit further. Um, what's the most important step to understanding the Bible? We read this, I think, uh, one or two weeks ago, but someone read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, that passage 14 to 16. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, so a great example is um, it talks about does not accept, cannot understand, right? Cannot understand and will not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So um, one popular um, Christian apologist, uh, his name is Gary Habermas, and when he would have a debate, he usually makes a list of, say, 10 or 15 things that both the atheist and himself, they both agree on. Jesus really was a person that lived, and right? He was crucified. He was buried. There was an empty tomb. His believers think that they encountered him as a resurrected person. And he goes through, and he said, we agree on all of these things, and yet they come up with some way to reject and explain them in a different way. And so when it comes to understanding, right, there may be a lot of things that unbelievers can accept and agree. Okay, that's real, that's true. But when it comes to accepting things of the Spirit of God, they're unable, right? Because we, we, uh, they're foolishness, in a sense, they're foolishness to, to Him. And so that Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. 
So, okay, this is how we're going to wrap up. we got like a couple minutes. It's kind of an assignment, right? So, in, our, in this need to like plunge ourselves into this biblical world to understand it, we have to kind of learn about the ancient world. We're plunging ourselves in, kind of like I, I always tell my kids, like when I'm watching a movie, I'm like plunged into that story, right? I've blotted out everything else in the world, and I'm living that scenario. We want to do that with Scripture. We're going to plunge in, get into the, their minds. So it introduced us to this, this historical background. So we have to kind of get in the mind of the author. So here's your assignment. Read at least two introductions on the book of Titus. So like if you have a study Bible, right before each book, there's usually a short introduction. Um, and you can look those up online. A lot of them are available online. All right, and then these are some questions that you want to ask. Number one, who's the author? Right? Who wrote the book? When was the book written? Okay, it's good to kind of place it timing-wise. Where was what, what? What was it written before? What was it written after? What's the occasion? Right? Why did this person write this at all? Did they write it as a gospel? Is it written as a letter? Is it for encouragement? For correction? Why? Why are they sending it? What are some major themes that will be discussed? So, if there's a certain main point, like Galatians has a central main point, and that frames everything that Paul is writing the letter about. What interpretive challenges await us, right? So is there certain passages that are difficult to understand? Even, uh, I think it's Peter that says, he talks about Paul's writing. He says, some of those things are difficult to understand, <laughs> right? So it gives us an example. And then what are you most excited to learn about, okay? And then if you guys have the handout, I think, it can't, I think we have like an example of one that has... Jude, right? Who is the author? Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. And it goes through kind of an example answers there. All right, so uh, next week we'll be starting on our next topic on how to study the Bible. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for just a great discussion. And I'm just always encouraged as we talk about your word. And I just pray that we remember that the word of God came from the mouth of God and that you spoke it. I pray that you would remind us that your Holy Spirit is able to do and able to um, communicate what us in our fallen nature and with all of our faults, um, you are able to communicate to us in spite of our own weaknesses and frailties. And I pray that as we endeavor to understand your word, to study it, that we would continually be like faithful and obedient children coming to you, the Holy Spirit as our schoolmaster, to teach us and explain to us um, who you are and what you want out of our lives. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you and just be shaped in more and more into your image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.